me pray with you, and we're going to look at the book of Exodus, at the story of Exodus. We're going to cover about three chapters today, and just kind of the highlights, uh, things that uh, I think are important, and advance the understanding that we have of what God is doing, and His sovereignty, and all things that He plans and executes, and uh, we can trust Him, and when we, when we read this history, that's what we learn, that we can trust God. God's a, he, he keeps His Word. He, he's a covenant-keeping God, both to the Jewish people and uh, to us through the covenant of grace, how, how blessed we are. So pray with me, and then we'll study. Our Father, we thank You for our time together this morning. We thank You for Your Word. I, I pray You'd help me to have a measure of wisdom as I talk this morning, and uh, Lord, help us to grasp by uh, your Holy Spirit, help us understand your word, and Lord, to apply it to our lives and to follow you, and uh, to give you glory, Lord, that you deserve. Uh, Father, help us to, to, to see your majesty and, uh, and all these things that we read, and that, that your word points to, uh, to your uh, glory and your your, your sovereignty, and so help us to understand it and to praise you, and Lord, to rejoice in your grace. In Christ's name, amen. So we're lesson two. You remember in the first uh, three chapters, we met Moses' family, and he is of the family of the, uh, of the Jews. If you're reading a commentary, it calls them Israelis. Uh, but I'm, I call them Jews. The New Testament calls them Jews, and so just easier for me, I call them Jews. And let, me, let me divert a little bit and just talk about when I send you that lesson outline, sometimes when my wife reads it on her device, she comes back and tells me that you misspelled this or your punctuation's bad. That's never my intention. My intention is just giving you my study notes, and so I'm not an English scholar, and I tell her, leave me alone. That's what I tell her. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> so when, you're, uh, uh, when you're reading them, if you bother to read them, when you're reading them, uh, please, be, please be kind to me, okay? <laughs> if, if you see a doctrinal problem, you give me a call. All right? But uh, if it's just punctuation, I don't want to hear it. Okay. <laughs> so... Uh, so we, we come, Moses' family is the uh, Jewish family, and uh, uh, he uh, is, is a product of uh, the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which, which when we read that means he's a covenant-keeping God, uh, means he's rooted in the past, he's rooted in the future, and that he, is, he identifies himself. That's how God identifies himself, as a covenant-keeping God. And so then we come to uh, verse chapter 3, and Moses is called with the burning bush. And uh, so the Lord calls him, gives him instruction about what he wants him to do, about bringing the people out of Egypt, because now the time has been fulfilled. They've been there for uh, 400, 430 years, and it's time the, 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 the sin of the Amorites is full, and that God lets the Amorites live in the land of Cana until there's Sinful, he gave them grace for 400 years, and now he's going to bring judgment. He's going to bring judgment through bringing the, the Jewish people back into the land and giving them the land that he promised them under Abraham. 
and uh, ju- he's going to judge the Amorites in doing so. And so it's, it's, the, it's the right time. So God's right on time. He's the right time. It's what he already prophesied he's going to do. And so he calls Moses to be the instrument that he uses. So he commissions him, uh, you're going to go to Pharaoh, you're going to talk to Pharaoh about letting my people go. And uh, so that's chapter 3, and now we're into uh, chapter 4. And so Moses has some reservations about the task. He is a little unsure. Do you remember that when, and you know his story, he trained under Pharaoh for 40 years, and he's going to be the next Pharaoh. And uh, so he's trained in all the wisdom and all the literature and all the, all the things of the, of, of the Egyptian culture and education, so he had it all. And he attempted to deliver uh, a, a Jewish person, and it, it failed. Uh, he, he, he had good intentions. He wanted to do it. But the way I look at it, he did it in his own strength and not waiting upon God. And uh, when we do things in our own strength, it, it fails. And so uh, it failed. So he fled to the desert. God humbled him. Uh, he probably thought he's going to live out his, the rest of his days there. So now he's 80 years old. God calls him back. Uh, and he's going to be the deliverer. So that's what we come to. But when God speaks to him and says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go and challenge Pharaoh. In his mind, think with me. You have to think about, he's probably thinking, I tried that. I tried that. It didn't work. That's why I've been in the desert for 40 years or the wilderness. And, and so how, how's it going to be different this time? So he makes these excuses to God. And... Um, he said, he went to, he said, what am I going to tell the leaders of Israel? Because they didn't, they didn't back me up before, so how are they going to believe me? And God said, you tell them that I am has sent you. I, I am. And when we just read that in English, it's difficult for us, it's difficult for me to grasp the fullness of who God is. I, I struggle with that. I, I understand that I have too limited a view of God. I don't think any of us could ever understand who God is completely. We'll never, because God is infinite and we're not. But when, when we look at him scripturally, as he's revealed himself to us, we still have a limited view of what we're capable of, I believe. I believe I do, and I suspect you may as well. When God says, I am, it means that he's everything. He, he is everything. Now, he's not it's not polytheism, he's not in everything, he's not a part of everything, it's not, he's not all the gods that all the world recognizes. It doesn't mean that, it just means that he is the originator and sustainer of everything. It also means when he says, I am, only a person can say, I am, so he's a personal God. Uh, he is an entity, and he, he is, a, I don't know how to say it, but he, he, he is God is a person, not a person like us, but he's a personal God. And, and then when he says, I am, it means that he's uh, omnipresent. He's always present. Present in the past, present now, present in the future. See, see, to him, there is no past, present, and future. He is. It's us who have a past, present, and future. But God just is. He is. He is outside time. He is outside the boundaries of uh, created, uh, the created order. And the created order includes time. Time is a created order. And uh, we struggle to understand that as well. 
So, God's nature, he's omnipresent, he's always there, he's omnipotent, he has all power, he's omniscient, he's all-knowing, and he's a personal God. Moses said in chapter 4, verse 1, But suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say, The Lord has not appeared to you. So, why should they believe me? And I put in the note, we worry too much about whether people will believe God instead of just talking about Jesus Christ and what Christ has done. See, it's, it's not our job, it's, it's, not our, it's not our responsibility about whether they believe or not. Our responsibility is to tell them. And that's what Moses' responsibility was. He was, he was supposed to just obey God. When God said, you go and talk to the leadership of Israel, you go and talk to Pharaoh, Moses should have just said, in faith, he should have said, okay, I'll do that. Whether they believe or not, it's not my responsibility. I, my responsibility is to go tell them. And, uh, and, and he's going to find that out as it, as it, prog- as it progresses. So uh, Moses was given three object lessons. The object lessons, you, you're familiar with them. He had a, he, he had a, he had a it probably had a shepherd's staff, which a staff might be five or six foot tall. But he also had a rod. And the rod was probably two and a half foot. Uh, and it would be more like, a, we'd call it a club. So he had this club, and uh, the Lord told him to throw it down, and when it threw it down, it became a snake. He said, pick it up, he picked it up, it became a, a club again, uh, and uh, let's call it a rod. But we see these things with the shepherd's staff and call that the rod, but that's not. The rod was to fight off animals uh, and to fight off someone who would try to steal the sheep. Uh, the staff was for the sheep itself, and so... Uh, here he had this rod, and then the Lord said to him, put your hand in your, in your tunic and bring it out, and it's lepers, and, uh, and put it back, and it's clean. Take a little water out of the Nile, pour it on the ground, and it becomes blood. And so he gave these object lessons for Moses to use in the presence of the elders of Israel, and he did that. And you know, what we need to remember is all three of those object lessons are instruments of death. This was a threat. God was saying through Moses to the people of Israel, obey or else. And, and we forget that too. We who live under covenant of grace, sometimes I don't, I don't think I take God seriously enough. Uh, I suspect that maybe you don't either, um, and maybe you take him more seriously than I do, and I, I hope you do. I realize I need to, so God... God all three, of those, all three of those object lessons would lead to death. And so God's saying, I am potent, and I'm serious. And so when you show this to them, they need to take me seriously. They need to take my word seriously. And so they believed. The Jews said, we believe. We're, we're going to follow you. We're going to do it. And... Uh, Moses then, he objected to God. He said, I'm not eloquent, I'm not a speaker. And God responds to him down in verse 11 and 12 of chapter 4. I think it's interesting. So the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth, or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth, and teach you what you shall say. So, I think the Lord, I don't think the Lord gets aggravated, but I think he gets persistent. And I think that's what we see here. God's saying, Moses, this is not about you. This is, this is I'm going to do it. 
you know, we take ourselves too seriously. You know, Moses, he said, you're my instrument. I'm going to do it. I'm going to be your mouth. I'm going to speak through you. Uh, you're just my instrument. And then Moses complained again, and we read that in verse 13. But he said, oh, my Lord, please send by the hand of whoever else you may send. Uh, Moses may be remembering the past. He's just very hesitant. He, he, he's, he's been humbled uh, mightily during those years. He doesn't see himself as a deliverer, and so he's, he's afraid to go. I, I say afraid. That's not in the text, but, but, but the indication we get. And then we read this in verse 14. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, It's not Aaron the Levite, your brother. I know that he can speak well. And look, he's also coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he'll be glad in his heart. Now you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and I will teach you what you shall do. So the, God, the Lord's anger is kindled. Um, I, when we read that, we need to remember the, Lord's, the Lord is righteous. and his, If he has anger, it's a righteous anger. Um, mine not... <laughs> Mine's not normally righteous. Mine's normally unrighteous. Mine's normally selfish. I get angry because I don't get my way. And so God doesn't get angry because he doesn't get his way because he gets his way. It just may not be, you may be the one who uh, gets run over while he's getting his way. But, and I don't mean to disparage God in any sense. But he, again, uh, God has his will and he fulfills his will uh, irregardless of what we do or think or how we respond. Um, I think he may be more pleased when we're more obedient and, and when we're more responsive to him, then I think he's more pleased. He doesn't get a righteous anger toward us when we're, when we're at least trying. So he said, send someone else. And so God sends Aaron out to meet him, his brother, whom he hadn't seen in 40 years. So here comes Aaron, his brother, and Aaron is going to be a problem for Moses. Aaron's going to create some problems on this journey. And um, I, the lesson I take from that, and again, you, you, you have to think about, well, why is this here? Why are, we, why are we reading this? Anytime that we're not as responsive as we could be to God's will, we're missing out the fullest of his blessing. And when we're not as responsive as we can be and know to be to God's will, and, and so we get some abbreviated thing like Aaron in our lives, it creates problems. And Aaron's going to create problems. You're, we're going to get to that. He's going to do the calf. And then he's going to say, well, they made me do it. Well, they didn't make him do it. Uh, it, it is his lack of faith that did that. And so... And, and so Moses bears the responsibility of that. So Moses, Moses wasn't fully obedient. He was hesitant, and he pays a price for it. And the price is Aaron. Now, I'm not saying Aaron's all bad. I'm not saying Aaron didn't have a ministry. But what I am saying is that you, you remember last week we talked about uh, when Moses is called, or have, have we got to that yet? Okay, no, we haven't got to that yet. But, We'll get to it right now. So he said, I'm not a speaker, send someone else. So he sends Aaron with him. And then we get to verse 21, 23. Moses goes to his father-in-law and basically asks permission, which I think is a good thing because he's working for him, living with him. 
And uh, so he begins the journey with his wife and sons. God gives him his instructions in verse 21 of chapter 4. And the Lord said to Moses, when you get back to Egypt, see that you do all these wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in your hand. Uh, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. But if you refuse to let him go, indeed, I will kill your son, your firstborn. So God gives some direct instruction about the task. You're to go to Pharaoh, and you're to be very specific and say, Israel is my firstborn. And in this context, firstborn means the, the priority. Uh, and when, when Jesus is God's firstborn, we're going to, we read that in Scripture, it's, he's the priority one. He's the priority one, and so that's what it, that's what it's speaking about here. So he's saying to him that uh, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. When we when we a lot of times when you read commentaries, they really say that well, initially Pharaoh hardened his own heart, and so then God responded to that. But they don't like the sovereignty of God that said that God hardened Pharaoh's heart initially. We read here, he did. That's when he did. And we read over in Romans chapter 9. Let me see if I printed that out. I don't have to go for it. In Romans chapter 9, verse 17, the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up that I might show my power in you. And how is he going to show his power in Pharaoh? By destroying him, and by destroying his power, by destroying his belief in his gods, plural. And, and so, who initiated this? God did. Who initiated the hardening of Pharaoh's heart? God does. And you know, we, we really struggle, I mentioned it last week, we struggle with the idea of the complete sovereignty of God. God is in control of our world. And... Uh, there's a theological term called the theosity, the theodicy, theodicy of God. Uh, it means that it's the defense of God and the fact that there's evil. So if God is good, why is there evil? Uh, if God is powerful, he could control evil. And so you end up with, if you're, if you're doing those equations, you end up with either God is, if he's good, he's not powerful because he doesn't control evil, or He's powerful, but he's not good, and because they're still evil, and he allows it to happen, so he can't do anything about it. So now there's this biblical thing of the theosity of that, the defense of God. <clears throat> and if you read Scripture, God doesn't need a defense. He is God. He is the I Am. Um, and he has a plan, and he's working his plan, and in his sovereignty, he does it exactly like he wants and it is irregardless of the will of man. Man does not have free will. We have free will according to our circumstances. We have free will according to our nature. But we do not have free will when it comes to God. I am God's servant. Every unbeliever in this uh, city is God's servant. Every unbeliever in the world is God's servant. Everything that happens is God ordained. Now that's how I, that's, that's my theological stance. You may disagree and, and that's fine. 
I, I, I will visit with you about it after class or anytime you want. But I just, that's how I read the Bible. That's God is sovereign. He's in charge. And uh, because he's outside of time, he created time. Let me give you that little illustration. I use all the time. If you, if you get a movie on a CD, uh, the author wrote that movie, and they produced it, and you're holding it in your hand, but it's not moving. Time is not going on until you plug it in and it begins to play. But the author already knows what the characters are going to do. The author already knows what the plot is. He already knows the outcome. He already knows everything that's going to happen on that CD. God is the author of everything that happens in the creation. That makes sense to you? You say, well, it may make sense to me, but I'm not completely happy with it. <laughs> well, you, you better be, you ought to be, because if you're not, you're, you're, demeaning, you're demeaning the sovereignty of God. And you may, I know you don't intend to. I don't intend to. But, you know, when, we, when there's somebody we love, uh, we had the service yesterday for Tommy Ford, who grew up here, and Tommy went in the ministry, and that's all he wanted to do with his life. And he died in his 50s. And it, it was a horrible, horrible death, horrible death. And you think, well, that's not fair. You ever have that feeling? That's not fair. You know, why don't, why don't the unrighteous die like that? But not Tommy. And, and, you know, you think, well, that's not fair. Well, when we say that, that's not fair, we're saying to God, you're not fair. You're not fair. That's, see, when we, when we feel that, that's what we're doing. We're saying to God, you're not fair. And we can't do that. When we do that, we've diminished our faith. We've demeaned God and diminished our faith, and we suffer for that. I don't mean God punishes us for that. I don't mean that. But I mean, when my faith is diminished, I'm left to my own devices. When my faith is diminished, God doesn't reject me. But what happens is that I don't fully trust Him. And when I don't fully trust Him, then when I'm suffering, I'm wondering, okay, is God going to be faithful to me? Is God, not is He going to take me out of the suffering, but will He be faithful? Can I go through it? And, and can I trust Him? I hope you understand that, is that when we diminish God, we suffer for that. Because we don't have the confidence in God that he wants us to have in him. We don't have the faith in him that he wants us to have. And so we're a little wishy-washy in our faith, and, and, and we lose our joy. And, and, and that's why we can have joy in our dire circumstances if we have faith. If we say, like the three Hebrews, you know, you... you you may, you may burn me up, king, but I'm, I'm going to, it's okay, because I'm going to be with the Lord. It's okay. One way or the other, it's okay, because I'm going to be with the Lord. Um, I, I, I just hope you realize that. And, and don't diminish the sovereignty of God. Again, I said to you last week, the only way you can accept the tension between the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man is that you have to say, God, I don't fully understand it, but I, I trust you. I trust you. I worship you. I like what Schofield says in his notes in his, the Schofield Bible. 
He said there's a judicial hardening which expresses the sovereignty of God and a personal hardening which expresses the responsibility of man. God is said to harden Pharaoh's heart nine times while Pharaoh does it to himself three times. But irregardless of what the commentaries you read is saying, God started it. Yeah, we read that in Romans chapter 9. Once again, God started it. God said, I raised him up to show my glory in him. I raised him up that I might basically destroy him and his gods. See, Pharaoh believed he was a god. We'll get into that next week. We're gonna, in one week, we're going to cover all the plagues. And, I, and, and we're going to see that they were directly against the gods, plural, of Egypt. And Pharaoh considered himself to be the chief god. He, he was a god, believed he was a god. And he functioned as a god in, in the lives of the Egyptian people and in the uh, lives of the Israeli people because they were slaves. Israel is my son, my firstborn. That's going to be spoken about <clears throat> uh, in Col- <clears throat> excuse me, Colossians chapter 1, that uh, Jesus called his firstborn out of Egypt uh, Matthew chapter 2 and verse uh, 14 as, as well. <clears throat> so, and then you have the circumstances. So, so now Moses takes his wife, his sons, they begin to go to Egypt, and God's not happy because the, the boys are not circumcised. And, and we read this, just a couple of verses inserted about this. <clears throat> Excuse me. In chapter, what chapter are we in? We're in chapter 5? No, we're in chapter 4. And look with me in verse 24. And it came to pass on the way at the camp encampment that the Lord met him, Moses, and sought to kill him. <laughs> then Zipporah, his wife, took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at Moses' feet and said, Surely you're a husband of blood to me. So he, God, let him, Moses, go... Then she said, you are a husband of blood because of the circumcision. Okay, now what's that about? Why is that just inserted here? Uh, And it seems like it's a little, it's just something that's kind of odd, just plugged in here. So here's Moses. He gets his wife, his two boys. He's he's on his way to Egypt. And and God strickens him. Most commentators believe that when God tried to kill him, but what he did, he, he struck him with some kind of disease or struck him. So now he's sick, and he realizes in his communion with God, he realizes that this, this is judgment, and it's judgment because he had not circumcised at least one of his sons. And circumcision for the Jewish people was a mark of their covenant. You go all the way back to Abraham, and that's the mark of the covenant. And so it was circumcision. And, and Moses, here he's going to be the deliverer of, e- of Israel out of Egypt, but he hadn't even circumcised his own son. And God was holding him accountable. <clears throat> you know what I read into that? That every leader needs to practice what they preach. This is because your leadership gives you no exceptional uh, authority with God. We are all accountable. Uh, every preacher is accountable, every deacon's accountable, every Sunday school teacher is accountable. We're all accountable to God. And we're accountable to His glory, to His honor. 
we're, we're, we, we can't shortcut. And that's what God was teaching Moses. You can't shortcut. Evidently, Zipporah wasn't happy about it when you read that in those verses. <clears throat> when she said, you're a husband of blood to me. See, again, you remember what I said to you last week? He married outside the covenant, and it caused him some problems. Here's an indication. We read in chapter 18 uh, that she went back. At this point, she went back to her dad. So she took his kids, went back to the dad. And, uh, and he's going to, later on, she's going to reconcile. She's going to, dad's going to, maybe he's tired of her too. He's going to bring her to Moses, but uh, later on. I was telling, Mark was telling me mother-in-law jokes this morning, and I was telling him, he said, you know how people are married? The guy said, how would you stay married 50 years? And he said, well, on our fifth anniversary, I took my wife to see her mother, and this year I went back and got her. <laughs> he started it. He, I, just, I just tell it. <clears throat> so Zipporah goes back, and Moses has to go by himself. Uh, Moses goes to Egypt without the support of his wife or his family, and he, he goes and, and meets Aaron. And so um, we get to chapter 5, and we read this, beginning in verse 1. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh. Well, first, he goes to the, he goes to the Jews, and he does the signs, and they believe him. So they said, okay, God's spoken to you. We're, we're on board. We believe him. So they went in and they told Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. Really, really interesting. Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice? And that's the question that the Jews have to answer Pharaoh has to answer, I have to answer, you have to answer. Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? Uh, does he have absolute authority in my life? I've been saying to you, he does. Pharaoh claimed to be a god, and he acted as god. Uh, the, the Egyptian people recognized him as their god, and the Lord is going to change that. The Lord is going to show the Jewish people that Pharaoh is not a god. Uh, and that, and, 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 and you know, this is what our world is doing today. Who's the Lord that I should obey his voice? Who's the Lord that we shouldn't have unlimited abortion or we shouldn't have homosexual marriage? Or who's the Lord that we shouldn't have gender dysphoria? Who, who's the Lord that, you know, we, we should do as we please and I am my own Lord in my own life, and, and, and we may not be, our world may not be saying that with their mouth, but they're saying it with their behavior, they're saying it with their attitude, and, and it is bringing judgment upon them. And uh, Pharaoh could have, at any time in these plagues, at any time, Pharaoh could have responded right then and said, okay, I'm going to believe the God of Israel has spoken, you go. Anytime, he could have done that. That's his personal responsibility. Say, well, you just said God hardened his heart, so he couldn't do it. No, I didn't say he couldn't do it. I'm saying God hardened his heart. He didn't want to do it. But he could have, but he didn't want to. And our world doesn't want to. Why, is that, why are people in our world not trusting Christ and being saved? They don't want to. 
They trust themselves. They trust the system. They trust their own happiness. They trust whatever they're doing. And they, they don't want to bow their knee before God. They don't want to humble themselves. And uh, so, and that's, I, I recognize, I still have that nature, and I, I, have to, I have to decide day by day, issue by issue, am I going to live by faith? Am, am I going to be a faith person? Am I going to respond to this issue by faith? Am I going to do it the right way? Am I going to choose uh, to sin and to be independent of God? Or am I, am I going to respond at, by faith? I read one commentator said, uh, there, the, the, read the eyes. He said, pay attention to the eyes, capital I, and Pharaoh's response. Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. And this commentator said, who is a Catholic, by the way. I'm reading a book by a Catholic, and I really enjoyed it. And, he, and I think he's a saved Catholic. He's a Catholic scholar. And I'm reading him on Exodus. He said, we always are listening to the eyes in our world, and we have, to, we have to make up our mind which one we listen to. Do we listen to the eye of self, or do we listen to the eye of whoever is speaking to us when they say, here's what I think you should do, or do we listen to what the I am said? And we need to really ask ourselves, who am I listening to? Am I listening to the I am and not to I uh, and my, my own desires. And then we see the curse of wanting quick, painless results. This is what we see in our lives, what we see in our society. And we see it, remember I've told you, we go through Exodus, we're going to look at typology. Uh, we, we read in 1 Corinthians 10, uh, these people suffered and they're examples for us that we shouldn't have to suffer the same thing. We need to learn from them. And here, here's what we see about these circumstances that happen. What happens is that Pharaoh then, he, 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 he creates more of a hardship for the slaves. You, you, I'm not going to give you straw to make bricks, but your quota's not going down. They take the Jewish leadership and beat them. And uh, so now uh, nothing's changed. Moses, Aaron, they went before Pharaoh, said, God said, let my people go. Pharaoh says, I'll show you who's in charge here. And it gets more, there's more hardship. And, and we see how that plays out. Read in verse 21, chapter 5. And they said to them, um, and, and this is the leadership of Israel, they said to Moses and Aaron after they came out from meeting with Pharaoh, let the Lord look on you and judge, because you have made us abhorrent in the sight of Pharaoh and the sight of his servants to put a sword in their hand to kill us. <clears throat> so they're complaining to Moses, and Moses goes and complains to God. Verse 22, Moses returned to the Lord and said, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Why is it you have sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people. Neither have you delivered your people at all. Did he think it was going to be that easy? Do we think faith is easy? You know, see, but here's what we do. We pray about a certain circumstance, and maybe we pray about it for one day or one prayer, and God doesn't change it, and we just say, well, why didn't God hear my prayer? Why didn't God respond to me? Why didn't he fix this? You know, I, I, I remember, you know, I'd hear stories when we first got saved, I'd hear stories about 
how people got in a financial bind, and all of a sudden they'd get this check in the mail, and it would be exactly the amount they needed. I keep praying for that. <laughs> Have you? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. You know, but I, I've never gotten that check. You need to write it, probably, but I've never, I've never gotten it. Your faith is too small. But don't, don't you understand? You know, so we have this, we want a quick fix. We want God, okay, God, I trust you, I'm prayed, fix it. And today, I mean, I want it today. Fix it. And then we're disappointed because God hasn't fixed it. That's our nature. That's our nature. We're just, we're just like these people. And God is long-term. You understand that? He's long-term. He's very patient with us. He's long-term. He's saying, I don't want you to trust me because of what you see. I want you to trust me because of who I am and that I have revealed myself to you. I reveal myself through through the creative order. I reveal myself through the Word of God. I reveal myself to us who are under the covenant of grace by the Holy Spirit. His Spirit... Uh, identifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if that identification is not in you, I'm going to question whether you're a child of God. And so if that, if that identification is, is within you, uh, then trust it. Uh, don't trust your circumstances. Trust the God that has redeemed you by the blood of His Son. And so, they're upset. And... Uh, they, Moses complains to God. God speaks again in chapter 6, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will let them go, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. So what does the Lord do when he responds? When Moses is saying this, God, you haven't delivered us at all. You haven't done anything. In fact, it's gotten worse. And so... Ball's in your court, God. That's what Moses is saying. And God says, I'm going to do what I said. I'm going to do exactly what I said with a strong hand. He just didn't tell Moses when he's going to do it. But he said, I, he's going to drive you out. Pharaoh's going to drive you out. And then read down in verse 6. Therefore say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. Now, why is God doing this? Well, and we'll see it more next week when he, when he brings the judgments themselves. But he is doing it that they see his glory visually expressed. That they see the demeaning of the gods of Egypt. Now, remember, they've been there 400 years. They haven't. They, they, they haven't worshipped in, 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 at the well of Bethel. They haven't worshipped at an altar. They've been there 400 years, and these gods have been around them, and they have probably begun to trust them, pray to them when the crops are not good. They pray to the crop god when uh, maybe the, the woman's having trouble with their pregnancy. They pray to the fertility god. And so they, they've been influenced by this pagan culture because they've lived there. This is all they've done. And it's influenced them. And God's saying, I want to break that mold. I want, you to, I want you to know when you leave here, I want you to know implicitly that, that they are no gods. I am the God. And so it's a process. 
Now, under the covenant of grace, what's God doing in your life and my life? He's doing the same thing. He's saying, I'm training you to release the world and to trust me. I'm training you to release what you own, to release your education, what you are. I'm training you, and I'm not diminishing those things, and God didn't diminish those things. He gives us those things. They're a gift from him. But he's he's training us day by day until we die that we release our faith in those things and we transfer our faith to him. Totally. Every time you write a check, anybody anybody write checks anymore? Anytime you throw that plastic up there, you know, you should say, Lord, I'm not trusting this, I'm trusting you. I'm not trusting you to make the payment at the end of the month. I'm, I'm trusting you for the resources that are there to back up this piece of plastic. We should remember that. We should remember that uh, all the time. Lord, I, every time you purchase something, Lord, you're the supplier of my need. I'm not. You are. You have given me these gifts. I'm your steward. See, if we would preach to ourselves, we would live in faith. I, Preach to yourself all day. Preach to yourself in everything. And we live in faith. And I'm preaching to myself right now. I tell you all the time, I I teach for myself. I'm I'm trying to preach to myself that I would walk in faith, that I would suffer discouragement and despondency and all those things that we're so given to. So the Lord speaks before he acts in judgment. He gave Pharaoh a chance And then the judgment's going to fall. He said, I'm a covenant-keeping God. I'm going to bring you out of Egypt. Verse 7, I will take you as my people. I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brings you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. And I will bring you into the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I will give it to you as a heritage. I am the Lord. And the commentators say the Lord always brings us out of something to something. That's what I was saying to you earlier. If, 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 you, if you profess faith as Christ, or let's just say if anyone, you profess faith as Christ, you're going to have the identity of the Holy Spirit in your life. You're going to begin to change. You're going to begin to exhibit some of the fruit of the Spirit. God brings us out of sin into grace. You don't just get one part. You, you don't just say, well, I'm, I'm going to heaven, but I'm going to live like a reprobate till I get there because I'm under grace. I'm going to go to heaven. Christ died for me. I'm going to go to heaven. That's not enough. Unless you're brought into grace, he brings you out of sin, and the very, the very same thing that brings you out of sin brings you into grace. And unless that grace is exhibited in your life, it's not there, period. You're still in your sin. Don't fool yourself and don't be fooled by people who say that. I noticed in the obituaries this week, there was a, a man who died, and I don't call his name, but part of our church at one time, and his dad was an alcoholic, and his mother kept throwing him out. Every time they throw him out, he'd come and see Brother Johnson to get saved. And then he'd go home and tell his wife, well, I've gotten saved, I'm different. So you have to let me back in because now I'm saved. (laughs) 
had uh, after about two or three times, Brother Johnson said, "Don't bother me. You're 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 you don't bother me. You're not you're not serious, and uh, and I'm gonna tell her not to let you back in." So, you know, it's it's really interesting. See, that's our nature. We want to just say, "Okay, God." I want to own it all. I don't want to pay for it. I want to own it all, but I, I, don't want to, I don't want to live for you. I just don't want to go to hell when I die. I want a free pass. And here we're reading, God brings them out that he might bring them into the land of his covenant grace. We're, we are impatient people. We're not trained to wait upon the Lord. And so we struggle with God's timing. Um, we come to the latter part of chapter 6, and the latter part of chapter 6 is a, geneal- a genealogy, uh, basically Aaron and, and then a little bit of Moses. Moses doesn't give his full genealogy, that may be his humility, but he gives Aaron's. And now why is it just inserted in here? It's inserted in here because Aaron is going to be the priest, and he has a legitimate right to be the priest. So the genealogy proves that it's a le- legitimate right to be the priest. So, my summation. Uh, God still works the same way. God's unchangeable. Uh, He's unchanging. And uh, as he dealt with the Israeli people, he deals with us. He says to us, I want you to walk with me. I want you to trust me. It's not what you see. You know, what we see in our world is our world is collapsing. That's what I see. Our world is collapsing. Uh, I read the news from Reuters News Agency, and they give worldwide news. And, you know, every country's in trouble. Not just, not just we're, we're not the only ones going nuts. E- every country's in trouble. Uh, there's famine in our world. There's, there's inflation in our world. There's, there's rioting in our world. There have been people who've taken over government buildings in other nations, not just ours. There, there's, there's things, their prime ministers, presidents resign. All, our world is in trouble. And, um, and God is saying, I want you to hear me. I want you to repent. I want you to trust me. I want, you to, I, I want to be your God. I want you to turn to me. And, you know, he's saying it to the world, and he's saying it to me, and he's saying it to you. Walk with me. Trust me. Listen to my voice. Uh, I, I want to bless you. I want you to live in the place of blessing and joy in spite of the circumstances that you have. And we're going along saying, Lord, change the circumstances and I'll be happy. And God's saying, God's saying that's not the answer. The answer is faith in me. The answer is trust me. Listen to me. Listen to my voice. And that's what I'm saying to you this morning. Listen to his voice. I, I hope, I, I, I would admonish you, spend a little time alone regularly and say to the Lord, Lord, <clears throat> when I examine my life, I repent, I repent. I, I'm repenting before you. I want to trust you. I want to walk with you. I want, I want to believe. So help me. Pray like the man in the New Testament is speaking to Christ. Help me in my unbelief. I believe. Help my unbelief. And he'll respond to that. That's what he wants to do. That's our blessing that he gives to us. Our Father, we thank you for our time this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the example that we see in the life of Israel. Help us not to make the same mistakes, but help us to learn from them as you've admonished us to do. Help us to learn from them and to uh, change our, 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 our habits and change our, 
our thoughts toward you and to exalt you in, in our thoughts and in our, in our hearts. And uh, we'll be blessed.